Welcome to the Black Sparrow Media Internet Broadcast Network. You are listening to Linux in the Hampshire. LHS is a podcast about Linux, open source, and amateur radio for everyone. Now here are your hosts, Russ, K5TUX, Cheryl, W5MOO, and Bill, NE4RD. Well, hello everybody and welcome. You have tuned in to episode number 360. That's 360 degrees. We've come full circle on the most terrific amateur radio podcast on the internet. This is Linux in the Ham Shack, and we welcome you in. And I am Russ, K5TUX. And I'm Cheryl, W5MOO. And I'm Bill, NE4RD. And we will be doing our short topics episode for tonight. And we have several topics that we've uh, come across and tried very hard not to use Southgate Amateur Radio Club to uh, access. (laughs) Although... They are quite the clearinghouse for news, so it's kind of hard to avoid it. But uh, I think we only—I think I only had to put in one tonight, <laughs> so that's good. Uh, hopefully, all this stuff is new and interesting, and uh, it maybe even a little bit educational. But before we get into our topics for tonight, we probably want to touch on the QSO Today Ham Expo, which sort of started and ended this past weekend. And uh, I think actually turned out better than we anticipated. It certainly generated a lot of interest for Linux in the Ham Shack. Lots of people stopped by. Our Discord community ballooned. Uh, We also had many more signups on uh, the other social media platforms and especially YouTube. So that means we're going to have to start doing YouTube. (laughs) Uh, so, So what did you think of the whole thing, Bill? Yeah, I thought it was pretty good. We had a lot of good conversation. I mean, it started early. You know, the uh, keynote was Friday evening for us here in the U.S. And uh, shortly thereafter, I popped into the uh, chat room and we already had people uh, had joined and we're chatting away in there. Uh, not just the ones that were trying to get the points for the uh, whole game, but like uh, some people are actually uh, want to tell us a story and tell what they're doing with Linux and stuff like that. So we had a lot of great conversations as early as Friday night. And that definitely spilled into Saturday when I think that was probably the busiest day on the chat channel. I think at one point there was over 350 people that had passed through that channel before things reset Saturday night. And uh, we got back down to about 60 or 70 on Sunday. But, um, yeah, it was really good. And we got a lot of traction in Discord. I noticed our numbers virtually doubled in our Discord channel. So... Hopefully, we'll see those online numbers and activity during the uh, live streaming pickup. And I also saw that uh, we picked up some uh, merchandise sales that we'll probably mention, too. And uh, you said uh, we also got some subscriptions, I believe. We did get some new subscribers, and we did get some merchandise sales. We'll touch on that when we get to the social media roundup, so that'll be down at the end. And lots of followers on, like I said, the social media platforms. So, it uh, was that you or me? That was me. I was spitting part of my cigar out. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> Sounded like I had a bad pot. <laughs> yeah, it was. Uh, yeah, it's a bad pot. I was spitting it out. <laughs> no, oh, and no. I also I also caught some of the uh, some of the um, uh, uh, tracks and. Um, yeah. See, uh, I got to go back to those. I didn't get a chance to see any of them. 
Yeah, I caught a few of them while I was uh, kind of uh, you know answering stuff in the chat room, and then I was at three you know three screens up here, so I was watching and uh, caught a few of them, and it was pretty good content, I have to say. Uh, definitely some stuff I want to go back on and, and watch that I didn't get to watch. Um, but yeah, it was it was definitely interesting because you know a lot of that stuff was pre-recorded because they wanted it to be the best quality they could to get it out, and then they had the live Q and A sessions afterwards. So I didn't get to participate in any of those the live Q and A sessions because I was already kind of doing the live Q and A in our booth. <laughs> so, right. Um, but uh, I didn't get to be on there much Sunday. I was so tied up with uh, another project here in town. But what was Sunday like? I wasn't actually able to get on much on Sunday either. I I popped into the chat a few times and uh, you know directed people to answers when they asked them and said hello to the folks who said hello as they wandered on by and so on. Didn't get a chance to set up any YouTube stream for the second day because you were and, busier than a one arm paper hanger. Yeah, was, things were busy around here, and I also got uh, tied up in my RetroPie project, so. Yeah, uh, I think I think that's the thing with the virtual conferences. There's only so much time I want to devote to sitting in a chair. <laughs> well, yeah, fair enough. You know, you know well, going to Hambenton is different. You know, we're standing up, we're talking the whole time, and you know, right. Plus, you, you know, can make a run for the bathroom and do some shopping while you're gone or whatever. Well, so. you could do that during this too, I suppose. I mean, you know. well, yeah, it's just it's just much easier to kind of feel like you can walk away from it. Right, and come yes, back in a half virtual. hour or it's whatever. Like, yeah, yeah, it's like, who cares? You know, it's it's virtual. You know, everything's being recorded. But, yeah, like, you know, the thing that would kind of, you know, not be recorded is the live chat going on. <laughs> so, right. Although I imagine somebody recorded that because they were using Zoom. So, yeah. I, I don't sure. know that those will be available, you know, post. Probably not. I mean, it doesn't seem they like it'd should. be particularly useful, but maybe. Zoom? Zoom usually allows you to save that stuff. So yeah, well, that, most of that was uh, YouTube, and and some some of it was Zoom, but mostly YouTube. The so, videos themselves, yeah. Right. So overall, I would say that it was a success. I mean, I I don't know how much it cost Eric and his crew to put that on, and but I I certainly hope it wound up being worth it. I think for for us anyway, on our participation level, it was much higher than I expected, and. The interface actually seemed to smooth out right before they went live with it. So, <laughs> um, although it was a little clunky, like first the very first you know hour, I think it was a little weird. But, um, but overall, I thought it was I thought it was pretty good. I think we had a lot of engagement, and I would assume that other vendors had a lot of engagement as well. I haven't heard directly from any of them, but you know, ICOM they're they're big. They probably yeah. talked to lots of people. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I poked around some of the other chat rooms, and I talked with uh, George over there at the uh, Ham Radio Workbench uh, podcast, and um, yeah, he was getting a lot of people talking over there in their chat room and stuff like that. So, yeah, I think it was, I think it was good for everybody that was having uh, having chats and and getting people on and stuff like that. So, so yeah, yeah. Hopefully, uh, I I don't know if like two times a year would be great. Just because of you know, if we were to have a booth twice extra year, <laughs> it would be a lot of work. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, but see, here's the thing: if you if you get everything put together for conference A, then you've got ninety nine percent of it done for conference B. Yeah, but like you know, that's the thing is is like it's the time and devoting the time to it, right? So, and it's like you know, I kind of wanted to devote time like we do at hamvention and it's it's much easier when you're there 
Because right. like, where else are you going to be? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. Well, I might yeah. be walking over and looking at the latest tricks over in uh, you know, the the icon booth or the MFJ booth or whatever. But you know, that's only for a few minutes while I you know go catch my breath and take a leak or something. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but like, yeah, in general, we're like we're there and you know it's nonstop. So um, yeah, it's it's just a little different different kind of thing you know i mean i i work in you, you work in a computer all day long so the last thing i want to do is spend my whole weekend working on a computer <laughs> yeah so, so it does make it a little a little tiresome i'm good for like one full day and i could definitely do like an extended day event but like a multi-day event i think uh, i'm you know might have to think about trading off a day or two like you know you do a you do one day i do the other or something <laughs> well i think participation in general on sunday was way down over saturday so it might behoove them to just make it a one day one event. day thing right i, I think yeah. there's only enough content there i mean the only thing that the only thing that would spill over i guess would be the presenters i mean there was obviously a lot more presentation content well, than there could, was could they not extend the day by yeah, they could extend the day or, or they could have more than four tracks. And, right. Uh, like, they had a lot of time between sessions. So, like, that's what I noticed when I was kind of watching them. One would finish up and, like, you know, I don't know if they had specifically said your, your, your track needs to be this long for this time period so we can have, you know, this much time for Q&A or something like that. But it seemed like some of them were really short. And then it was, like, you know, 30, 30 minutes or so to the next one. So, um so yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, especially when you're doing it like that, you could almost start the next one, and the people that want to do Q and A can go over and do the Q and A and and stuff like that. And uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, yeah, I, I just don't know. They just but. they just did the Pampered Stuff National Conference online because obviously we couldn't go to it. Yeah. Um, they allowed an hour for every session. Forty minutes of that was for the actual presenter to cover their stuff and then 20 minutes they they picked and chose questions out of the the zoom chats yeah. uh to cover and they spent you know 20-ish minutes 15 to 20 minutes covering those but there was and there was a 30 minute gap between all those sessions but everybody this year said don't don't do that because in yeah. that 30 minutes my kids needed me and i ended up missing the next session you know shorten that gap up to like 10 or 15 minutes it's yeah, I think more that's reasonable. In, so. People that want to have like an extended conversation, they can go on and do that on a one-on-one basis with right. uh, with the person. So, but yeah, I think I think it was great for their first uh, first stab at this. You know, a definitely way different dynamic than any of the other, uh, um, uh, you know, Zoom events or stuff like that. So I do have to give it to them on that. It's like it, a, it was a kind of a totally different feel than. Um, yeah, you know, let's say like the like contest university was or um the other i think uh, the youtubers web conference or something like that which was a little bit kind of all over the place but um but yeah yeah it was really organized and it's kind of nice it was all on one platform um but yeah i'd still i'd still question more than one time a year but but uh yeah if he can if he can make it successful for you know a couple times a year you know that might it might fly for for a while while things are uh, in a lockdown state yeah hopefully this doesn't carry on for too many more years <laughs> years let's, let's try for months i mean <laughs> yeah yeah so hey let's let's move on from that i think to amateur radio Yes, on to amateur radio. And since this first topic is yours and the next I'll one is it. mine, I will let you read it. Okay, sounds good. Yeah, so this is uh, a new 2,700 kilometers 
plus uh, IARU Region 1 Tropo record on 23 centimeters. On the 17th of July, 2020, there was an opening between the Canary Islands and the UK and Ireland off uh, on the VHF and UHF bands. A remarkable contact was made on 1296 MHz between Echo Alpha 8 Charlie X-Ray November and Echo India 2 Fox Golf, which turned out to be a new IARU Region 1 Tropo record for the 23-centimeter microwave band. In a report on his website, Caesar uh, or Cesar uh, Echo EA8 CXN reports that there was a good tropo opening on July 17, 2020, and in the evening, uh, EA8 CXN completed contacts with uh, G7RAU, G4LOH, and EI20 Charlie um, on 432 MHz. Uh, Echo India 20 Charlie uh, mentions that John. Um, Echo India 2, Fox Golf, <laughs> all these silly call signs. More, more booze. <clears throat> I should have watched all these call signs. It's also active on 1296, so tests began. Uh, G7RAU is the first to complete a successful contact on single sideband on 1296-200 using just 5 watts into a 56-element Yagi. A 56-element Yagi. So what's, Holy the, what's the gain on that bad boy? <laughs> I, I did the math earlier. <laughs> uh, 5 watts into 56 elements. Um Ends up being a lot of power. I wouldn't be anywhere near the front of that antenna. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, uh, well, my my math. If you give one dB per element after the the major gain, which pretty much stops at about seven elements, because um, after seven you get about one dB per element. That's basically the rough math. It's plus or minus, you know, and it's a all, little bit right, right. But let's just say it was probably north of 500,000 watts at the end of the show. Oh, <laughs> Are you sure you're doing that math right? Uh, it was pretty, it was, it was like, it was like over 60 dB of gain. <laughs> so yeah, it was like, after I started doubling, 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 I'm like, oh man, this is way too much power here. <laughs> yeah. 56 elements is a lot of gain. So anyway, <laughs> apparently some of the, some of the water between the Canary Islands and England was turning to steam as they were having this. Yeah, exactly. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully there are no, uh, you know, nobody with, uh, you know, uh, in childbearing years in front of that antenna. Well, at least anyway. it wasn't on two meters. So it wasn't resonant on uh, human height frequency. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So anyway, <laughs> G4LOH also completed a contact after a period of deep QSB. A successful single sideband contact was completed with uh, EI2FG on 23 centimeters with a 5.1 and 5.4 reports exchanged. The distance was an amazing 2714 kilometers, 2714. Not only was this the first contact ever between Ireland and, Canary and, the, and the Canary Islands on 1296, but it was also a new IARU Region 1 tropo record for 23 centimeters. So there you go that that's that's pretty amazing for uh for 1296 so but also a 56 element beam is pretty amazing too <laughs> i want pictures of that I, I did i was looking around to see if there was any pictures of it but yeah that, that boom length has to be pretty uh pretty significant for that many elements yeah that's quite the antenna and that oh. came to us from um ei7gl's blog so uh you know it might not be verified or anything like that but you know it's probably good enough you know, maybe it'll be verified later on all right, so moving on, I had a hybrid helical antenna for geosynchronous repeaters. Lots of big words in there. <laughs> Hams like to say that working in contact in space can be done with a simple handheld transceiver and a homemade antenna. That's really only true for low-Earth orbit satellites, LEOs, such as the International Space Station. 
if you want to reach a satellite in geosynchronous orbit, it'll take a little more effort. And this dual-feed helical could really help, or helical if you prefer. Until recently, the dream of an amateur radio repeater in geosynchronous orbit remained out of reach, but that has changed with the launch of Qatari satellite SIL-2, otherwise known as QO-100, last year. And I believe we talked about the launch of that at some point. Since then, hams from Brazil to Thailand have been using the repeater. The antenna presented is a hybrid design needed because of the 2.4 gigahertz band uplink and 10 gigahertz band downlink. Both require a large dish antenna with the downlink requiring a low noise LNB and feed horn. The uplink side is a helical design with three and a half turns of heavy copper wire and tuning section of copper strapping that attaches directly to an N-type connector. The helix is just the right size for the feed horn of an LNB for the downlink side nestled in a hole in the helical antenna's aluminum reflector disc. There are 3D printed parts to support everything, plus a cone-shaped uh, ray dome to keep it all safe from the elements. And that came from Hackaday. And there's also a YouTube video which explains what you need and how to build one of these helical antennas, which is only useful for people who are not in IARU Region 2 because we can't reach it. <laughs> yeah, this is the one that sits over top of uh, the DRC, right? Right. Yeah. Zaire. Right. Yeah, Zaire. Now, now, now the Democratic, uh, Democratic Republic of the Congo. Yes. Uh, yeah. So... If if you're in the Middle East or the you know Asia Pacific region or even I guess some parts of Europe and South America, you can you can get to this satellite, but we here in North America cannot. No, it's a little too far for us. Yeah. So sad but true. So this might be the start of other geosynchronous satellites for repeater use in orbit. We don't know, but uh, it certainly opened the door for it. So maybe there will be one over us at some point. And we'll all be able to use these uh, skybound repeaters, which would be kind of cool. And if you do, you can build one of these helical antennas. So there you go. All right, Cheryl. Yes. Are you busy? Yes. <laughs> Good. Recipe. Okay, I'll read it. All right. So, yeah, this one is a smartphone app identifies unknown data modes. There's a myriad of radio signals. It's impossible to know them all, let alone recognize them. That's where signal ID comes in. At the moment, it recognizes about 20 signals with only about five seconds of recording time. To use it, set the frequency, the frequency range, and bandwidth. Place the microphone of the telephone near the speaker, press the button, and wait five seconds. It's kind of like the music app. <laughs> kind of like Shazam, yeah. But yeah, for Shazam. <laughs> Separate digital signals. Right. A quiet environment is best for proper decoding. The algorithm is based on frequency. A wrong tuning of your radio SDRO will result in an erroneous detection. Well, that tells me it's using some uh, some uh, key indicators like frequency to know that what should be there. Uh, the recording is limited to five seconds of practical uh, for practical reasons. Recognition of the signal may require several attempts. If you notice bugs, have remarks, or suggestions, please leave a comment. The app is open to, as open source, published on GitHub, and available for Android devices. Yay, Android! And that came to us from Southgate. And in the show notes, you'll find links to that, GitHub, and YouTube. Yes, sir. And uh, as far as the open source is concerned, it is GPLv3. So Sweet. All right. So that is the end of our amateur radio topics for tonight. So we're going to slide gracefully into open source, and Bill's going to tell us about uh, 
something that I actually found out about today independently of this story. So go for it. <laughs> You've been pwned. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, but. Oh, uh, oh geez, what did I just do? Oh, no. Don't, don't, don't do whatever you're doing. Yeah, I just hit a button on my computer. Anyway, so yeah, this is uh, I'm open sourcing, uh, not me. Uh, Troy Hunt is open sourcing the I have I been pwned uh, code base. So yeah, Troy Hunt reports on his blog. Uh, quote, I've been giving a great deal of thought to how I want this project to evolve lately, especially in the wake of an M&A process that ended early that earlier this year, right back where I started, with me being solely responsible for everything. The single most important objective of the process was to seek a more sustainable future for the Have I Been Pwned uh, code base and product, and that uh, desire hasn't changed. The project cannot be solely dependent on me. Yet that's where we are today, and if I disappear... That sounds pretty ominous. Uh, (laughs) HIBP quickly withers and dies. As I've given further thought to the future since the M&A process, uh, the significance of community contributions have really hit home. Every single byte of data that's been loaded into the system in recent years has come from somebody who freely offered it in order to improve the security landscape for everyone. Many of the services that HIPB runs on are provided free by the likes of Cloudfare. Much of the code that's been written has drawn on community contributions either by virtue of content people have published publicly or support that's been provided to me directly. And obviously, I didn't short link this, but yeah, this is over on Troy Hunt's uh, personal blog. And I believe he's also a Microsoft employee. So there you go. Um, yeah, that uh, should be available. I don't know when it's going to be actually posted at GitHub or whatever. I think those details are still being worked out. And yeah, he does work for Microsoft as a regional director and MVP. There you go. There you go. Yeah, it came up at work for some reason. (laughs) Shortly (laughs) before I uh, read this article. So I'll have to look more into that. But anyway, moving on, we have... Oh yeah, I did mess that up. That's what I'm looking at. (laughs) (laughs) See, I put links in the wrong spot when I was doing this stuff. Okay, well, I'll have to fix that. Never mind. Yeah, no problem. (laughs) First point versions of Ubuntu 2004.1 LTS arrives with a lot of bug fixes. Do they fix the one where the computers keep locking up? Uh, (laughs) That's Gnome. (laughs) The point release of Ubuntu 2004 mostly includes a number of bug fixes for packages, security, hardware, and installation media updates. This is the reason most people wait to get the most stable and bug-free version of the new Ubuntu LTS. It also contains fixes for the recent boot hole. Boot hole, I love that one. Better cover your boot hole. Uh, Bug which affected most Linux distributions using Grub2 bootloader with Secure Boot. Unfortunately, Ubuntu 2004.1 does not come with a new hardware enablement stack, HWE, if you want to abbreviate that, which is often included in a first point release. Hence, 2004.1 ships with the same Linux kernel 5.4 as in 2004. With this release, all users using the previous Ubuntu 18.04 LTS will now receive notification very soon for an automatic upgrade to 2004.1 LTS. However, if you wish to upgrade your Ubuntu 18.04 19.10 to 2004.1 right now, you can do the same thing using Force Upgrade. And no source on that. Where was that? That came from Fossbytes. Boss bites. Okay. Yeah. Thanks. Sorry, I'm getting I'm getting the link into the show notes right now. I just like I don't know how I missed. We're just that. yeah, we're just making the show as we go. It's like <laughs> yeah, we have no show prep whatsoever here. We're just uh, winging this. Uh, <laughs> I just got my Google Windows open, and that's what we're doing here. Yeah, uh, <laughs> we're just running down the internet. 
<laughs> all righty well the next story comes to us from let's see if i actually did this one. Oh yeah foss post so hey we got a lot of foss in here foss bites and foss posts. gee we got a lot of foss how about that foss what the foss <laughs> anyway so yeah can libra office 7.0 be the awaited microsoft office alternative that's the question that's trying to be answered here in this article by foss post or on it, foss it, post it will be the same time that it's the year of Linux on the desktop. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> so yeah, if you if you haven't known about this, but LibreOffice has just recently released the 7.0 series, um, and it's actually a pretty good product. But anyway, here's here's what the article had to say. LibreOffice is one of the most well known open source office suites out there. It starts as a continuation of OpenOffice, which is no longer under active development after Oracle bought its parent company and destroyed it. Oh, I mean, and uh, sorry, that wasn't in there. Uh, parent company Sun in 2010 and destroyed it. And oh, sorry, God, I keep on putting that in there. Uh, version seven of LibreOffice was released yesterday. So whenever this article was, I didn't read the date. Uh, sometime last week, I think. With tons of improvements every Everywhere, both in performance and in the overall user interface. But can LibreOffice 7.0 be the long-awaited Microsoft Office alternative? And to what level can com companies, organizations, and governments depend on it to use instead of Microsoft Office? So I cut all the gobbledygook out, and I'm just going to tell you the highlighted improvements that the article mentions, which obviously aided in the support of the actual uh, conclusion here so here's the highlighted improvements it's a uh, LibreOffice now exports files in the native microsoft office 2013 2016 2019 formats instead of depending on the compatibility layer of microsoft office 2007 this means that documents spreadsheets and presentations written in LibreOffice will now be better displayed in microsoft office and i really think the only one that had the most problems with that is 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 the powerpoint one so that's really cool that they fixed that uh, opening Microsoft Office PowerPoint presentations became also better in 7.0. Hey, I just said that. How about that? <laughs> <laughs> you were reading ahead. Yeah, I didn't even read that. <laughs> and that's what I was just thinking about. Uh, support for ODF 1.3 format, which is the open source format for exporting documents. Uh, let's see here. New icon themes for both Windows and Mac OS, making LibreOffice look much, much better. Uh, Linux users can also use the icons themes on their Linux distributions if they wish to, uh, wish to from the settings manager. The underlying OpenGL graphics engine in LibreOffice for Windows was replaced with the Vulkan Accelerated Skya graphics libra library, making 2D drawings and the overall rendering of LibreOffice much better and faster. Mo better, mo faster. Uh, PDF UA export support, PDF generation larger than 50, 500 centimeters now supported. I guess that means you can start doing bigger advertising uh, banners and stuff like that for print. Uh, XLSX sheet names with more than 31 characters are also now supported. Well, that's great because I don't think that's supported in uh, Excel. <laughs> 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 it starts breaking real quick. Uh, basic high DPI fractional scaling for KDE QT, uh, Qt5 is now implemented. And a number of bug fixes, performance improvements, and language translations were added. And I believe they also changed the interface a little bit. The uh, the menuing interface looks a lot better. And they also added like a sort of a ribbon interface to be, you know, semi comfortable for uh, Microsoft Office users. So it looks it looks quite sexy. I haven't upgraded mine yet, so I'm I'm, I'm going to actually go do that shortly here. But anyway, the article conclusions. Uh, were this. So to sum it up, LibreOffice 7 is a great Microsoft Office alternative. It has uh, become way more powerful in dealing with MS Office files and documents. Its performance went way up in the release and this release thanks to the new graphics engine and with general enhancements of the user interface and other existing areas. LibreOffice continues to become one of the best open source office suites out there. And that came again from FossPost. 
And I have to agree with that because at work we inter we use uh, LibreOffice and Office Office uh, interchangeably, and even Office 365. And no one seems to complain about one written in one and loaded into another and then saved and then loaded back in the other one and so on and so forth. So I would say it does its job well. Yeah, yeah. And I've I've kind of used LibreOffice as like a, sort of a test bed too once in a while to see how well some of the old VBA stuff that I have <laughs> with VBA macros and stuff run. And believe it or not, it, it actually runs really well with a zero modification. So uh, if you have some of those ugly, ugly macros <laughs> in your spreadsheets, uh, give them a try in, uh, in LibreOffice and uh, see, see how well they are. I mean, mine even includes database connections and, and, and stuff like that. So, uh, yeah, it, uh, it's actually quite impressive and it would be, uh, it would be, uh, probably a good time for, you know, those CTOs and stuff like that, making those decisions of which platforms to go into to start looking at LibreOffice seriously now, because, uh, with the performance improvement, it, uh, I think it's, uh, it's definitely a contender. Yeah, I have to agree. I, I agree 100%. I'm looking forward to seeing how 7 performs compared to uh, 6. Dot whatever it is now. Um, this uh, this graphics library change should be a game changer as far as because, uh, you know, open up or LibreOffice rather, it seems a, a bit clunky still, yeah. especially when it starts up for the first time. And even Windows still has like a, a pre startup option so you can get some of the heavy lifting out of the way before you actually want to fire it up to, to make it a little smoother. Yeah. Yeah, which is, I don't like that stuff running. <laughs> yeah, I don't like that stuff running either. So, yeah, it is what it is. Anyway, so check out LibreOffice new version 7 officially coming very, very soon. And now we slide deftly into Linux in the ham shack. And we only have one topic in here for tonight. Sad but true, but we're going to let Bill handle it because this is something Bill is doing all on his little own self. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because so many people had mentioned Ham Clock, and I don't think we'd ever talked about it. But I always, I always remember like, ah, I should probably mention this. So, anyways, uh, Ham Clock, and let me, let me, uh, let me get the verbiage right because I didn't write any notes here. <laughs> what is Ham Clock? Well, Ham Clock is basically a uh, application that gives you sort of a little GUI. Uh, information. Think of it like a Geocron. If you're familiar with that product that shows the world map and then, you know, some information like your call sign and uh, um, uh, solar weather information that's information for ham radio operators because we like, you know, knowing what the A index is and stuff like that and a, a sunspot number and whatnot. Um, so basically this is, this is that in the open source format made for, uh, originally for just a raspberry. I think it was actually originally an Arduino setup, uh, according to the original document and uh, project that I can see. But, uh, the article I was looking at was uh, from Delta Lima one golf kilo kilo. And, uh, he was putting it on his raspberry Pi, And I was like, Oh, I could, I could bring my pie out. I have a screen for the pie and stuff like that, but I got kind of lazy today and I'm like, I got this cruddy Toshiba tablet that I have Fedora Core 32 installed on. Let me just see if I can compile it on there and run it. And sure as crap, with the same instructions <laughs> for a Raspberry Pi, and actually I didn't have to do anything except for install Make on uh, Fedora because I really hadn't set it up for doing uh, any compiling and stuff like that. Uh, I was able to compile it and run it right away and it comes up with... Uh, 
the wonderful screen and you just touch the window that as it, as it opens to configure it and it asks you for your call sign so you put that in there it asks you if you want to just do a ip geolocate or if you want to actually type in your location and uh, i just let it do the ip because i'm lazy <laughs> and uh yeah it, it actually comes up and runs on this little tablet so i was kind of thinking i would maybe use this tablet just for this screen because it's already got a screen and it's so horribly slow <laughs> that it's pretty much useless for every other purpose and uh yeah it shows a map of the u.s with a nice little uh uh, you got the, the the sun line, so you can see the dark part of the Earth and the light part of the Earth. And it's also hooked up to a uh, um, uh, DX cluster, so you can see spots of uh, stations that are actively talking and stuff like that to each other, which is kind of slick. And you can add all other kinds of stuff to it. A lot of people have, and uh, it shows clocks, your local clock. It shows uh, your clock, uh, Zulu time clock. And also of uh, the mentioned DX station, which mine is showing, looks like, uh, if I can read this because its screen is tiny. <laughs> <laughs> it's a green station, which is 4X-Ray 6 Tango Uniform, I think. Uh, and, yeah, it says what time it is there, and it says it's 317 there. So there you go. And Echo Papa 76. Um, so, yeah, and it constantly changes, and it's 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 pretty slick. And I know a lot of people have kind of played around with that application using it on their Raspberry Pis and stuff, and uh, I just wanted to look at it to see how easy it was to install and run, and heck, it was, it was too easy. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to play around to get it configured so it actually uh, um, it fills my entire screen on the tablet and maybe keep it plugged in all the time here in the ham shack, and then I'll have some use for the stupid tablet instead of uh, you know just playing around with it but yeah it, uh, it's it's really slick it it is really neat um so check it out if uh, you have a raspberry pi that's doing absolutely nothing with a screen on it uh, this would be, might be something you could use it for in the shack and uh yeah so what else did i want to, i wanted to also mention the fact that uh which we we didn't talk about we talked about the fact that at the ham expo we didn't do a video on sunday but we did do a video on saturday and our video on saturday we kind of went over a build that we pushed out to the server of uh, ubuntu 2004.1 which was we obviously just mentioned it as well being released and we have a build of Ubuntu Budgie up there of 2004.1 with all the Ham Radio Pure Blend stuff installed, uh, CQR log, WSJTX, and uh, JSA call. Uh, just like all our other builds, it's just an updated version. And uh, we actually went through on the video that is up on YouTube right now of kind of booting that live CD and installing it and just verifying that everything actually works and it uh, would make it real easy like our other installs to kind of get started. So um, that's our other little item that you can check out on the YouTubes. Yes, and we're hoping we have much more YouTubes information coming up soon. And we've sort of started on a project to put all of our back episodes or back catalog from episode 300 on onto YouTube and we'll continue doing that going forward so that folks who want to follow the podcast using YouTube as a podcatcher will be able to do that as well as get any of the additional YouTube content that we decide to push out, whatever that might be. So there you go. And lots of people have subscribed to YouTube thanks to the QSO Today Ham Expo. So more people will see all the junk we put up there. <laughs> <laughs> 
This so, is where you send out a sympathy card to everybody. So. Yeah, exactly. Um, so that means since we have run out the, the one topic we had there, ham clock, which actually I'm going to try. It sounds interesting. So um, I don't have, I mean, I have like two gig Raspberry Pi 4s here. I don't think I'm going to waste one on a clock. But <laughs> <laughs> you can use my iPad, can't you? <laughs> well, no, because you, you can't, can't really. Use my old iPad. Now, how do you how do you compile it on an iPad? Uh, I don't know. I don't think it'll. I don't want to try and make do the machinations to get Xcode to build this thing. So <laughs> no, that, Xcode, that Xcode I, won't run an iPad. Yeah, that yeah. iPad is now a paperweight because it's so. Stable. No, I'm not saying it would run on iPad, but to build it somewhere yeah, on no, something that no, I'm talking to Bill. I'm not talking to you. Oh, fine, whatever. <laughs> uh, all right. Fine, talk to Bill. I don't care. <laughs> Wow, everybody's gotten edgy all of a sudden. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for those of you in our Discord, I'm actually just posting a quick uh, picture of my tablet running uh, ham clock so you can kind of see what it looks like on the cruddy tablet. <laughs> hey, that's not bad. That's, that's a pretty, like you say, that's a pretty slick interface. I like it. So anyway, as you mentioned, oh, I'm just looking back at the chat room here. As you mentioned before, also easy to install on the KM4 ACK build up high. What's that? What's that? I don't know. I haven't. Cam four act build a pie. I don't know what that is. Maybe KM4. we'll get an answer. A C K. So anyway, we have come down almost to the end of the show finally, and that means we have hit the social media roundup. So, are you ready to do the social media roundup? I guess. You guess? Okay. Well, I hope you're ready because it's a big one. <laughs> yeah, I, I I just looked at the list. So I'm thinking about retiring early. Okay retire earlier or whatever you think you need to do but anyway go for it okay so for our patreons we have richard gordon andy webster cubicle nate darren king david jakeway donald gever douglas redder erna castalis herb garcia john spriggs peter caffrey paul griffith randolph smith robert pitts samuel vimes steve metcalf steve saner william heckelman and jonas rulo for subscription we have Peter Spots, who is brand new, Robert Black, Randolph Smith, Robert Halliday, James Lewis, Fred Cole, Michael Burdak, Alan Wilson, Ronald Ike, Michael Conley, Steve Biella, Jim McKenzie, Dylan Engel, Johnny Kenzie, Robert Yerke, Bill Piotr, Darren King, Thor Wiegman, Todd Bowers, Kevin Ivey, John Clark, Bill Collins, Jeff Zimmerman, Tony Coberly, Roger Pereira, Jeffrey Boris, Michael Carey, Steve Hepler, and Michael Jobling. And before you continue, I just want to say, I think it's funny that I'm not going to give anything like personal away, but the email address for Peter Spots, our new mm-hmm. you know, benefactor, <laughs> uh, he abbreviates his name P-Spots. <laughs> and uh i'm going to assume that's deliberate <laughs> uh but anyway i thought that was fun, yeah, that's so. kind of funny yeah <laughs> well you know you gotta you gotta stand out you gotta be unique so there you go <laughs> so for facebook we have a long list of new people we have greg strawley doug hinkst jerry Clo- cloacher I would say Clouter or yeah, something, yeah, Some, something along those yeah. lines, yeah. Rick Walter, Walter Furtak, David, excuse me, David Horvath, Robert Rodriguez, Joyce Paskey, Bob Doherty, Jason Brano, Bert Sharp, Joe Kaginski, Shane Callaghan, Garnet Ryder, Hudson Luce, and James Atkinson. 
And we have a long list on Twitter as well. At W5BSG, at W, or excuse me, at VE3CJ, at Blind Hands, at Fortuna uh, Reggie, at Mal underscore W, at Joe Hest SH, at N0X90, at Popsicle2008, at Daniel Tickle, at VB, excuse me, at VB Mike11, at Lex PH21B, uh, that's actually PH2LB. Yeah, 2LB, excuse yeah. me, sorry. No, yeah, so, I mean, after I saw that, I was like, that's that's not a one. Yeah, the font's crazy. Yeah, but... the font is crazy on our <laughs> on our pads. Uh, at Old Fool. I like that one, too. Yeah, Old I like Fool. that, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> at Halt SE. At B, uh, B-H-H-O-O-V-S. At KD9F. What do you mean? Why did you not read that one? It's behooves. Be- it's behooves. Yeah. Yeah. It's behooves. Behooves. Yeah. <laughs> All right. At KD9FHJ, at Robert R64, and at KC3NBR. For YouTube, we have Pablo Sabag, Eric Venade, uh, at W0CES, John B. At Garnet Rider. These, at, are, these are not ats. This is oh, YouTube. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> That's okay. Start over Apparently, again. we're all just uh, our brains up are scrambled. Yeah, yeah, it's been a long time. I'm not time. surprised, actually. Yeah. So. Okay. So let me start that over again. On YouTube, we have Pablo Sabog at at. Wow. <laughs> start. This, shut up, Bill. <laughs> it's like the. It's like what happens when people who are not on Jeopardy say, "What is?" Yeah. Now? Exactly. What is Pablo Sabog? Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> On YouTube, we have Pablo Sabag, we have Eric Venade, uh, uh, we have, yeah. <laughs> I want to go to bed, okay? Uh, on YouTube, we have Pablo Sabag. We have you don't Eric- have to keep starting over, because I'm not cutting any of this. Oh, so just, well, you know. no, you're going to cut out the, no, the... No, no, no. No, it's too good. Fine, fine. That's too funny. You know what I'm thinking about both of you right now, too. We have Eric Venande. We have W0CES, John B., Garrett Ryder, Eric Gray, Chris McDevitt, Charlie Ski9, Isaac Kuntz, Ed Whitcomb, and Michael Ramsey. On the mailing list, we have Nick Van Duffelen. Merchandise sells, we have Isaac Geyer, or Gear, Sam Burns, and Matheson Ott. All right. Finally got through it. <laughs> uh, whatever. <laughs> it's, it's okay. Uh, everyone will enjoy it when they hear it. Yeah, so. <laughs> I'm sure they will. Thanks, everybody. <laughs> so, anyway, we've come down to the end of the show. That's the social media roundup. We want to thank all of the people who came to us via the QSO Today Ham Expo and who have signed up, even if they didn't know what the QSA Today Ham Expo actually is. Um, and we're, like we said, our Discord community is booming and we have lots of people hanging out and so there's lots more to participate in if you are a discord user which you should be links to all of that stuff is on the website yeah, and i'm sure before morning there's going to be something about lhs make fun of cheryl or something. Yeah. <laughs> we, we make fun of ourselves equally because because we all suck at this yeah well that's that's what 11 years in the game will do for you anyway <laughs> So before we run out of here, we should mention the folks who are with us in the chat room tonight. We had Tony K4XSS, Tom N4HAI, Jason KM4QWM, Stacy KB7YS, Darren VK60K, and Steve K7HVT. So thanks everybody who joined us for the live recording. 
And we will see you for the next episode, episode number 361, which will be The Weekender. And I believe, if I'm not mistaken, it's the 54th edition of The Weekender. So you want to tune in for that. And you want to find out about all the upcoming things that you can do to enjoy this life we live. In the meantime, thanks, everybody, once again. And we'll catch you all next time. This has been episode number 360 of Linux in the Hamshack. I'm Russ, K5TUX. I'm Cheryl, W5MOO. And I'm Bill, NE4RD73. For listening to this episode of Linux in the Hampshire. LHS is a community sponsored podcast. The live show is recorded every Monday night at 8 pm Central Time, plus or minus QR. Connect to the live stream at url.bcts.info stroke LHS Live. Our website is located at lhspodcast.info. You can support the podcast by visiting the LHS Patreon page at patreon.com stroke LHS podcast or by using the contribute link on the homepage. Get in touch via social media. We have a presence on Discord, Facebook, IRC, Twitter and YouTube. Our IRC channel is hash LHS podcast on the Freenode network and the Discord invite link is url.bcts.info stroke discord. You can also drop us an email at info at lhspodcast.info or leave us a voicemail at 1-909-LHS-SHOW. That's 1-909-547-7469. Visit the online LHS merchandise store at shop.lhspodcast.info for fun and fashionable show-themed merchandise. Become an ambassador and represent LHS at a local Linux convention or hamper. Email ambassadors at lhspodcast.info for more information or visit the homepage for details. Until next time, remember to always heed your hedonism. Shack and the Linux in the Hamshack logo are released under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives 4.0 International License.